Welcome to Share Talk. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Matthew Idiant, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Rose Petroleum. How are you there, sir? Uh, very good, thank you. Now, it's the first time we've covered your company, so could you tell us a bit about yourself, the Board of Directors, and what the overall strategy is of the company, please? Certainly. I've been um, with Rose since inception, um, which and we listed on AIM as Vein Minerals back in 2004, June 2004. Um, and uh, I was commercial director back then, then was a non-exec director for a while and then came in as CEO when we did a transition uh, from just mining into mining and oil and gas in 2013. We've multiple assets ranging from uh, uranium, gold, silver, copper, and, um, and of course, oil and gas, which is our sort of main focus um, at the moment. So we have assets in the US and Mexico, and we're also pursuing projects in Cuba as well. Could we highlight, obviously, the board of directors that are involved with Rose Petroleum and maybe a little bit of their history? Um, certainly. So we've got our chairman is um, uh, Philip Jeffcock, who um, has numerous years of experience. Uh, City used to work for Goldman Sachs. And finance director is um, Chris Eady, who was um, 17 years qualified experience with cable and wireless historically and has a significant experience on AIM as a finance director. And then um, operationally on the mining side, we have Chris Hefton, who again has been with us since sort of December 2004, I think he joined us. And he has lots of experience with Homestake, Barrick and Freeport McMoran. Um, one of the key things to when Vane was first listed, um, obviously previous name of Rose, uh, was the Freeport McMoran database and um, and. Chris uh, was obviously had lots of experience there with the original geologists who founded the company. And then on the oil and gas side on the board, we have Kelly Scott, who is sort of 40 years experience um, uh, in oil and gas, um, ran um, projects in offshore and onshore all around the world, um, and has a huge, vast experience in the industry. So if we can look more in depth at your assets then, please. If we can start with the mining side of things, could we have a look at, first and foremost, the Mexican project? Yeah, so um, the SDA, our main asset really in Mexico is, is the SDA mill, and um, which we announced um, quite recently that we've been, well, we've, it's been bid for um, by Miguel and Gold, um, who's um, doing their due diligence at the moment, and um, will pay a million dollars in cash and half a million in stock should the um, process continue, which we hope it will. Uh, the SDA mill is a flotation and crushing mill, um, which we originally founded when we had our first mine, which is Diablito, uh, which we started in 2004 and mined it out. And then since then, we've done joint ventures with owners of um, mines until I think it was 2015 when we changed over because of the drop in the price of gold. We changed over to toll milling only to keep the operations going there and uh, we've been doing that for sort of 18 months or so and um, and now obviously we're focusing really towards the oil and gas assets so Mexico uh, we put up for sale and um, Magellan came along and made us an offer. In relation to the cost of the mill and the potential sell there versus your market cap 
what will that money potentially be used for going forward? So obviously, I mean, our, our, our main and exciting and the, sort of the biggest game changer for us is, is our Paradox Basin oil assets. Um, the Paradox Basin is um, in Utah, in the US, southwest, uh, south, sorry, southeast um, Utah. The basin has been developed just directly south of us, about 12 miles south of us, by uh, what was was the operator was Fidelity Exploration and Production, who had huge success there um, between sort of 2009 and 2015 when they sold it to Westco Operating, and um, and and that in sort of the first quarter of 2015 they were producing 2,100 barrels a day. Multiple wells in in the region have produced. You know, hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil, uh, with a few producing more than a million barrels of oil, and so it's a it's a very productive basin. Um, we had um, we 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 have a seventy five percent working interest which we're earning in through um, a company which we did a deal with called Rocky Sanders Oil Company back in 2014. Um, we've, been, we've been working on that project since. We had Ryder Scott do a um, a reserve report for us. And they came up with um, prospective recoverable resources of 1.1 billion barrels of oil and 2.2 trillion cubic feet of gas over 15 intervals um, in the basin. Fidelity identified 10 of those 15 that they were um, that they were targeting. The main one was the Cane Creek interval, which was the deepest one, which is the one that they actually mostly produced out of. Um, so um, we think the basin is, 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 has huge potential for us. And obviously, there's a, it's a vast amount of oil. Um, and, um, uh, you know, we, we, we're going to go in. And we, the, the thing that Fidelity did is they unlocked the key to these, um, the code to, these, um, to the basin, which is really is, the, is shoot seismic and identify where, you're, uh, where the highly fractured areas are. It's a very overpressured prey. With them, and you therefore try and identify where the natural fractures are. Uh, you don't frack the, um, the the wells, so you literally drill in vertically. If you um, if you target correctly, you'll hit the fractures, and you, you'll get um, excellent IP rates, initial flow rates. Um, uh, between and the and the they had uh, 2015, I think um, uh, fidelity had flow rates there on four wells that they were operating and they range between 800 barrels a day and 1200 barrels a day now obviously that's an unconventional place so the decline rates are, are, are quite aggressive um but um uh, there's you know there's still very good rates and paybacks very quick um on these wells and um and then they flow for a very long time you know steadily but um but a lot less than that as, as the sort of, you know, million barrel plus some of the worlds have produced over sort of 30, 40 years. Could you just let us know the sort of rough target depths and potential costs for those, just to highlight them as an example? Yes. I mean, the, the, so the, the, um, around us, we'll be looking between um, the classics that we'll be targeting between sort of, uh, well, up to 10,000 feet deep, um, around the 7,000 foot to 10,000 feet deep. Um, uh, depending on whereabouts in, in our acreage we will be targeting. Um, the, um, that is feet, not meters. Um, and uh, the well costs, um, so when Fidelity were drilling, uh, which was a couple of years ago, um, we had their well costs at around 10 to 12 million, depending on completion. Um, and uh, I mean, I think obviously the prices have gone down a bit since then. 
Um, but um, if we said a sort of a 10 million mark would be a sensible figure, I think, for you know our first well. Um, and uh, you know that they, they uh, our own internal economics gives us a sort of break-even price around thirty dollars a barrel, twenty-eight to thirty dollars a barrel somewhere around there. So you know, fifty bucks, forty-seven bucks, we're still making money, um, even in the current environment, which is obviously good. Now, what are the plans for funding going forward? Well, obviously, the the, um, the 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 plan at the moment is we are permitting the 3D seismic shoot because that's vital. That that data for us is is hugely valuable, um, and we're doing a 61 square mile seismic shoot, which we've been permitting, and it's taken the last two years. Obviously, it's a very big area to um, to permit. I mean, it takes a lot longer than a drill pad does because of the size of it. Um, you know, it's obviously 61 square miles. You have to do a lot of cultural and, and environmental assessments in that area. Um, so it takes time to get those together. But we are, um, as we've announced, we're, we're expecting that approval relatively shortly now. Um, we are um, working closely with the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and um, we've put forward our EA for a 15-day comment period. We had a comment back um, that was uh, of importance and it needed um, addressing. So we have addressed that now. Those um, changes to our shoot have been put forward to the BLM. The BLM are reviewing those and um, we hope to be putting forward for another 15-day um, comment period relatively shortly, uh, which, um, which then should get the approval um, and then we will be off to the races. The physical shoot itself um, can't start until um, H2 because of um, uh, environmental, uh, well, it's basically sort of um, uh, social and environmental issues that reg regulatory issues allow you to, um, to only shoot during a certain period, um, which is fine. So um, we'll be hitting that in H2. If we can have a look, obviously what a lot of people have been looking at over the last six months is the price rise based around uranium, and uh -huh. obviously your uranium project. Yes. Could we have a summarization of that? Yeah, so we, um, I mean, our, our, we have a, a state land and federal land. The, a lot of the federal land um, we had was was subject to the withdrawal of lands that happened um, some years ago now um, under the Obama administration. Um, we are hopeful that that land will be reinstated at some stage um, under the new administration, which is obviously much more pro-nuclear, um, rather sensibly. And um, and there was no reason for the land to be taken away in the first place, in our view, because you, you have a, a, a national park there, which is the buffer uh, for that area, which is there to protect um, that area, and, and rightly so, it should be protected. But we are outside that park, and, and the park was set up to be a, a buffer area. So um, there's no need to extend that into the area we were, really. And um, and certainly the environmental impacts studies that were done showed that actually there was very little impact at all, if any, um, and therefore there was really no reason to, to um, put a moratorium in, which they did. So we would be hopeful that we'd get that area back, uh, which is the federal lands. The state lands um, that we have, um, are, uh, we can um, operate in, but obviously it was better to have the whole package together. So we put the whole lot on sort of more or less on care and maintenance um, while this is all sorted out. But we're hopeful that that will change relatively shortly. 
Um, and there are noises, certainly, um, from Washington that, that may well happen. So um, we're hopeful of that, and that obviously would would give us, a, you know, back our full acreage there, which um, which you know has a, a significant upside. The the target that we have there are these um, Brescia pipes, which are um, a high grade. They're sort of um, um, sort of the highest in the U.S. certainly, um, and they are uh, literally sort of uh, tall, thin. Um, cylinder, cylinder. Uh, oh, that's a word I can't pronounce this time of day. Um, exactly, uh, shape, and um, uh, and they're sort of up to one percent U three hundred eight, which is obviously quite good grade, um, and they're highly profitable. Uh, they range from sort of three million to six million pounds at the, at the of um, of uranium in them as a resource, and uh, we we've got multiple targets in that area. Um, and and then you know they were they were um, they were rather successfully mined back in the last uranium boom um, by Energy Fuels Nuclear, which is which is the leading company at that time in that area. Um, so yeah, we, they, they do offer us a, a significant upside, which is something that we haven't sort of looked at for for a while because of the administration. The previous administration really wasn't very pro it, but obviously times are changing, as they say. Could you comment further, obviously, on companies like Aviva that are building multiple nuclear reactors and where you foresee the sort of need for that mining mineral, which is uranium, going forwards? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously um, a, a big benefit to us. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a... It's a it's a very big picture um, question you're asking me, and um, and, uh, and and difficult uh, to answer because there's quite a few um, uh, issues um, uh, whether these are going to be go forward as, as quickly as one is others planned. But um, uh, I do believe long term that that nuclear is the answer for for, for um, uh, the future of power supply it has a fantastic safety records record. Um, it, you know, you take away the the two issues of Fukushima, um, obviously being one of them. Um, but if you build them in the right place, uh, and then and they're run properly, then the safety record has been exceptional. And indeed, I'll agree with you on that one. And there are obviously processing plants now for the offtake and the waste disposal of that sort of end entity. So, yeah. And there are obviously procedures in place to deal with that. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Alongside renewable energy sources, I think the whole world is starting to wake up to uranium. And hopefully, long term, we can move back to what the prices were back in sort of 2007 or so. Yes, I mean, I'd be surprised if they head up to the, you know, the the heady heights of sort of 110 order it was um, that we hit. But um, they certainly should be considerably higher than they are at the moment. Um, there's, there's there's little doubt about that in my mind. If we can have a update or a briefing on your asset that is based around gypsum. Now, a lot of people would have heard the word but a lot of people won't understand what it is, what it's used for, and how much of a scalable commodity it is. 
Yeah. So, I mean, um, just to be clear, um, we, we, we are negotiating that um, potential transaction. It, is, it, it isn't our asset yet, um, although I do hope it ends up being um, a, a project that we can continue with. Um, so this is the, the project that we're looking at is, is in Cuba. Um, it is um, a, a big deposit, um, uh, billions of tons, um, and gypsum is, a, is, is used for uh, the construction industry. Um, for wallboard, internal walls mainly, and for decorative outside. But um, uh, it's a, it's 15 and 13 mil wallboard are used throughout the world. Um, Knauf and, and people like that are the, are the manufacturers sort of globally. Um, and the, the project that we're looking at is, is, is to be um, uh, to build a plant in uh, Cuba. It's not a great expense. I don't really want to go into figures, but it's not a vast amount of money. Um, and um, uh, and to be the sole manufacturer of warboard for Cuba um, with a joint venture with the um, government. Uh, and to then basically to replace their import market, which obviously with Cuba, with the market opening up, and um, the amount of tourism growth that's going on there, uh, building of new hotels, etc., is a is a potentially big business there. Um, so if we can get it, um, uh, I think it would be a very good uh, place to be in the current um, current market. First mover advantage as well. Is there exactly anything further that you'd like to add there, Matthew? Um. Uh, no, I think we've sort of more or less covered it. I mean, obviously, the, the oil and gas is a, is a, is our main focus, um, and um, and really the the size of that um, gives us the opportunity to be from really from quite a small company into something really quite big, um, and I think the the upside there is is really quite exciting for us. Well, you've got lots of multiple assets across multiple sectors. And hopefully we can follow your new stories going forwards. And we look forward to hearing from you again, Matthew. Yep. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to explain all about us. Yep. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, great pleasure. Thanks, Stephen.